Philistines on one side of the valley, the army of God on the other. Saul is the king, David is descending into the valley of Elah. I know most of us, as we have studied about the Valley of Elah and our battling the difficulties and the giants in our life, I want you for a moment to think with me about an alternate thought of David descending into that valley. David goes into the valley and Goliath is challenging and calling out. David goes down to the brook. And he bends over to pick up the five smooth stones. But as David picks up those stones, he sees a fish. And he thinks, I like to fish. And so he begins to follow the fish. And then he realizes, not only do I like to fish, I like to hunt. And now I have a sling and I have stones. Maybe I ought to go pursue an animal. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. You see, the problem is sometimes it's easy for a person to get distracted in this life. And this morning, I want to talk about battling distraction. And the truth is, distractions can be dangerous. We all have heard about distracted driving. I've often thought about the number of people who put not only their own lives, but the lives of others at risk because they drive while they're texting. I have followed a few of those folks and seen that they drive about like a drunk man. But this past Wednesday, I saw a full illustration of this, but not in a car. As I was going home for lunch, I topped the hill, and along the sidewalk was a young man riding a bicycle with a cell phone in his hand. And the city was working on an area where there's a gate. And instead of pushing the gate in, they pulled the gate out. This young man's riding along, looking down, and all of a sudden, boom, he hits that gate, jumps up, grabs that cell phone, and uh, distracted riding, I guess is what you would call that. But you might think, I wouldn't want to be around a distracted shooter, someone who's maybe at a firing range enjoying a day of being able to shoot targets and uh, all of a sudden someone speaks and he turns and points his gun toward you. That puts you in danger. Or being distracted while using a power tool. You know, someone can be out cutting down a tree or things such as that with a chainsaw and just look away for just a moment and end up cutting a limb off. I had a grandfather that lost three of his fingers on his left hand because he was cutting on a table saw. You see, the truth is, is that being distracted is dangerous. There are some things that demand our undivided attention. What I'm fearful of, we as God's people have developed a spiritual attention deficit disorder. We find ourselves being so attracted. And you see, the truth is, is that that's what the devil wants. The devil has a number of devices that he uses to deceive us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul is talking about a man who has been withdrawn from and has repented. 
and how that some of the congregation are no longer forgiving them because they're thinking only in worldly terms. And Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You mean the devil has some tricks up his sleeve? Well, when I go to Ephesians 6 and verse 11, it speaks about being able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Or if I go to 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, he says that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In Ephesians 4 and verse 14, he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Do you mean the devil is out there just really trying his best to distract us from the truth and what is good and what is right? He is. And I really believe that many of us have to really, really be careful or we will become spiritually distracted. You know, several weeks ago I made the point that these lessons were things that at least for me are challenges, they're battles that you and I have to face. So here's what I'd like for us to do this morning. I'd like to talk about distractions examined and look at some examples of that. There's a number of them in the scriptures. Number two, I would like for us to look at engaging the devil and eliminating these distractions from our lives. We have a lot to do, so let's move along with our lesson. What's involved in distraction? If you go to a dictionary, it will tell you that it is either an intentional or an unintentional drawing away of attention or direction. For instance, it may be that you're listening to me speak at this very moment, but all of a sudden that little baby in front of you makes a little smile and you your attention is just immediately turned. Or it may be that someone drops their songbook or something such like, and immediately your attention goes somewhere else. Sometimes that's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. I want to point out to you that when you and I lose our focus or we lose our direction, we're committing two great evils. In Jeremiah 2 and verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. Not only do we, when we are distracted, lose focus on what is important, what is right, what is good, but then we replace it with something that is not good for us. Let me illustrate some of this for you. I know most of us remember that when the children of Israel entered the promised land, the first city they encountered was Jericho. Achan took of the devoted thing, and then as Joshua led the army to the city of Ai, they were defeated soundly. However, after the sin was removed from the camp, God sent them back to the city of Ai. And this time, 
he ordered an ambush. And when you go to Joshua chapter 8 and you look at just really those first few verses, in chapter 8 verse 4, he commanded them saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. It's almost like what he says is, you go hide behind the city, then we, Joshua and the rest, are going to come And when the people see them, they're going to turn around and start running. And when they start running and leaving their city, the people from behind are going to come in and they're going to ambush it. And that's the way God was going to deliver the city into their hand. When I go to 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversaries, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour. He's out here looking for us trying to trick us. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. You and I need to realize that's what the devil wants to do. It's his goal, it's his desire to try to trick us, to distract us from what is good or right. Well, now, if I understand that, What does the devil use to do that? Well, I'm going to try to categorize this into several areas. And the first one is the devil is able to distract us by ordinary, plain, everyday obligations. One of the most valuable passages in my estimation in seeing this is found in Luke chapter 10 in verses 38 through 42. Luke is going to tell us that Jesus arrives at the city of Bethany. He doesn't call it Bethany here, but he's at the house of Mary and Martha. And when you get to verse 39, it says about Martha, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted. If you're reading the original King James, cumbered about with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want you to imagine... You invite someone to your house. What's the first thing you do? Oh, we got it good and clean. We got to tidy up. Number two, you say, okay, I I think we need to offer them something to eat or something to drink. And if you do that, you need to go prepare it. Jesus arrived at Mary and Martha's house, and Martha's one of these who is just so particular. It says she was distracted with much serving. I keep thinking that terms, much serving. She's obsessive about this. But Mary is sitting there listening at Jesus' feet. She's oblivious to everything else that's going on. She is not distracted. Martha is the one that's distracted. How many times do we find ourselves letting normal Everyday obligations take us away from that which we ought to be focused upon. 
In Luke 8 and verse 14, we have the parable of the soils. Brother Steve taught that in the Learning Center yesterday at Vacation Bible School. And in the parable of the soils, he gets to the one that's on the thorny ground, and he talks about why it does not succeed, and he says, those that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked by what? The cares, the riches, and pleasures of life. Cares, riches, and pleasures of life. You turn around and you've got your normal everyday obligations. You've got your ability to make money, to be able to succeed in life. And then the entertainment, the pleasure. And what happens is pretty soon everything has come along and what one ought to be focused on has been crowded out. But the devil sometimes is also successful in distracting us by our family. Do you remember what God told the children of Israel when they entered the promised land? He told them, he said, I don't want you to make marriages with the people of the land. And yet when I get to 1 Kings chapter 11, I read about Solomon. Verse 1 says, He loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will, listen carefully, turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. You see, he was distracted. His family was saying, let's go this way. I can tell you what happens. I've seen it happen too many times. You have one spouse who wants to serve God acceptably. They want to attend services. They want to do what is right. Another spouse has another agenda. And what happens is, honey, let's go to the lake today. Yeah, but today's church. I know, but you go off a lot anyway. You go to, you know, when they have the meetings, you go, let's go. It's a beautiful day today. Okay. You see, what happens is our family is able to turn us away. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 26, Paul talked about a present distress that was upon them. How that there was going to be some real challenges by being married. And so he tells them in verses 32 through 35, he says, I want you to be without care. And when you get to verse 35, he says, And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. I don't want you to be put in a situation where the Lord comes in second place. A third thing that can draw us away or draw our attention away is political ambitions. And you say, oh, I hope you're not going to talk about the election this year. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about a situation that existed that brought about the division 
of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You remember when Solomon passed, his son Rehoboam became the leader of the nation. But Rehoboam was not a very wise and good leader. And what happened is the northern tribes followed a man by the name of Jeroboam. But Jeroboam was a very shrewd politician. He understood very plainly that if the religious heart of the people remained at Jerusalem, then he would lose his political control over the people. And so as we go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 27, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they'll kill me and go back to King Rehoboam. You know what happened? He said, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. And he put a place in Dan, and then he put a place in Bethel. You see, people who have political aspirations want to distract you so that you will follow them. I hope you see it wasn't just the Old Testament either. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 4 verse 17, there were some within the church who were trying to bind certain things and they were trying to get people to follow after them. And he said, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. It's just like Acts 20, when Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders, after he warned them that grievous wolves would enter the flock, he said, and from among your own selves will men arise, speaking perverse things, listen carefully, to draw away disciples after themselves. There's always been people who are politically posturing to distract you so that you will follow them. Distraction by worldly pleasure. You know, this world offers a lot of entertainment. Not all of it good. Some of it is wholesome. But the world offers a lot of entertainment. When you go to Luke chapter 12, I want you to listen to the rich man as he makes an appraisal of what he has lived for. So I said this, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and then whose will those things be which you have provided? What was this man focused on look what I have been able to acquire in this life and God said okay who's that going to belong to to whom will you leave this you see he focused on the wrong thing that's why God called him a fool in the book of Ecclesiastes you have Solomon looking at life and he looks at life from various perspectives. And when you get to chapter 2, Solomon, in the first eight verses, pictures trying it all. I don't have time to explore each and every detail. 
He said, I, my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also is vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their life. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male servants and female servants. He says they ended up with treasures, musicians. What's it all worth? If you get to the day of judgment, do you think it's going to matter how many times you got to go to Disney World? Do you think it's going to matter how many movies you saw? Do you think there's going to be some special thing in heaven to say, I caught the largest fish in 2016? Or I shot the lowest score on golf? Do you see what I'm trying to say? Solomon said, I looked at it all and I tried all these things and I found there's nothing of value in it. But yet, what distracts us? One more and then I'm going to move on. You can be distracted by education as well. I'm not opposed to entertainment. I'm not opposed for a person making a good living or even saving for one's retirement. And I'm definitely not opposed to education. But Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, And further, my son, be admonished by these of the making of many books. There is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. You can spend all your time trying to acquire worldly knowledge to the neglect of and to the exclusion of scriptural, biblical knowledge of God. You know, Athens was considered the great place of education. In Acts 17 and verse 21, what did those people do? They spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You want me to tell you something? You can say, I need to know, I need to know. You can spend all day long trying to find out what everybody's doing on Facebook. And you can lose your soul because you've become so spiritually distracted that you no longer have your face in the book of God, but you have it in Facebook. I'm serious, folks. It's easy to become distracted, and the devil just loves it. Well, how can you and I deal with this? First of all, I think we have to realize we've got to encounter the devil and engage the devil and understand that he has a strategy. He has a goal. He has a purpose. He has a mission. Well, if I were going to engage an enemy, I think I need to have some sort of goal, some sort of strategy, some sort of mission to encounter him. I'm going to suggest a few of these to you. 
Number one, the first strategy is to recognize the devil is actively seeking to, and the reason why I chose Joshua 8 is to ambush you. Just like they were ambushing the city of Ai, you have a group over here that's trying to pull you in this direction while the real danger is coming from another direction. We sometimes think that when we're listening to people who tell us they love God and they love our souls, that they're all telling us the truth, and they are not. False prophets under the Old Testament as well as false teachers in our day are doing the devil's bidding. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. We've got to recognize that not everybody who says, Oh, I love your soul. I want you to be saved is telling us the truth. Sometimes they're drawing us away serving the devil's purpose. Well, how do I deal with that? Search the scriptures. Make sure that what they're saying is true. I always like Isaiah 8. He said, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Strategy number two, recognize what is essential and important. Mary has chosen the good part. Here she sits at the foot of Jesus. She's listening to his word. She chose the good thing. There's some things in life that are valuable, that are important, but they're not the most important. You remember Matthew 6? After talking about what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll put on, Jesus said, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek the first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Strategy number three. Eliminate what entices you to sin. I left my cell phone at home. That tells you how distracted I was this morning. I was going to hold it up and say, if you know that your cell phone will distract you while you're driving, turn it off. If you're afraid that you're going to get a text that you're going to be tempted to answer, turn it off. Whatever entices you, cut it off. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30? He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you. Be more profitable for you that one of your members should perish, but then your whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Whatever you see as a real problem, get rid of it. Strategy number four, moderate the less important things. You have to realize not only are some things more important, some things are so essential that there's no balance here. For instance, Matthew 16, verse 26, For what profit is man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you think that your soul is worth 
what you're living for right now? Strategy number five, consider your ways. You know, sometimes we need personally, individually, to think about who we are and what we're doing. When the children of Israel returned from the captivity, they laid the foundation of the temple, and then for 16 years they quit. They got a little frustration, and they quit. God sent the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah to try to spur these people on, get them back on the right track. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You've sown much, bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. That means that I myself need to sit down and think, What kind of things are controlling me? What kind of things are distracting me from what I ought to be doing? 1 Timothy 4, 16, Paul says to Timothy, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Strategy number six is focus and recalculate. I chose the word recalculate on purpose or recalibrate. I guess I misspelled it. Some of you have had a GPS in your car and had the little lady or the little man talk to you. And you find yourself, oh, there's something over here. Let's let's drive over this way. And just as soon as you do, that little woman, that little man comes up and says, recalculating. You know what the purpose of it is? to get you back on track, to get you back in the direction that you set out for initially. I like the way the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen carefully to verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sometimes we need to recalculate. Is my focus where it needs to be? Now listen carefully as we think about the first part of the book, chapter 2 of Hebrews. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. I don't believe that anybody who is here this morning actually has ever made the decision consciously to say, you know what, I think I'm not going to be as strong of a Christian this year as I was last year. I don't think anybody ever plans on departing from the living God. But what happens is they start drifting. Well, how did we get here? If we've drifted and we're no longer where we should be, 
He goes on in verse 3. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Here's where we are, folks. Some of us are walking down the valley to the valley of Elah to engage Goliath in battle. We've reached down to pick up the stones inside the brook and we said, there's a fish. I've got a sling in my... Oh, let's go hunting. We've gotten distracted from what is our goal. We're losing the battle because we're distracted. The battle for your soul is too important to lose. 2 Timothy 2.4 No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Would you say that God is pleased with you in his army fighting these battles? 2 Peter 2.20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and again entangled in them and overcome. You see, if I have chosen, I'm going to serve the Lord, but now I find myself distracted back over here with the same old bad friends doing the same old bad things, the latter end with them is worse than the first. What does God want me to do about it? Right now, what does God want me to do? In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he had addressed a letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, I've got this against you, that you have left your first love. Repent, therefore. I don't know everyone's situation in life. Preachers preach to themselves as much as they do to the congregations. I'd like to encourage you this morning for you to make a resolve that you're not going to allow this world to distract you from your goal, from your mission. And if you have allowed the Lord to slip out of your life, you need to be restored. When we sing this song, let's, let's pray with you. And if you're not a Christian, If you're not a Christian, let me tell you, there's a destination you want to arrive, and that's heaven. But the only way you're going to get there is by going through Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes into the Father except through me. If you believe that he's the Christ, you're willing to repent of your sins, confess his sweet name, and be baptized, the Lord will add you to his body, his church, And forgive your sins. If you need to respond, would you come while we stand and sing?